Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. And today we have a conversation with Nicole Saunders, a director of community and everything connected with music person. I mean, writer, singer, guitar player and dancer, a volunteer fundraiser, martial arts sensei, at least at home, and a fire breather who also loves traveling, cooking, and connecting with people. So, hello, Nicole. Hey, Yuri. How are you doing today? <laughs> yeah, I'm great. I'm finally, I'm so happy. It's our first conversation on Zoom, and I'm so happy that we're having exactly this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really happy to be here, too. It's great to, to finally meet you, as it were. <laughs> I will ask you all questions. And by the way, you can feel free to ask me questions. I am not promising that I will answer because it's all about you, but let's try. <laughs> so the first question, when did you start singing? Oh my gosh, I always wanted to sing. And I, I think I sang a lot in my parents' living room when I was a kid. I was not good. I would not recommend listening to those old VHS videos. Um, But pretty much when I got into high school, I, I went and saw a friend's choir concert. I was like, I want to do that. And so I got a job and I started paying for voice lessons so that I could learn. And I auditioned and I got into the choir and I've been in choirs and various bands and things ever since. It's really, it's my favorite thing to do. It's my passion. And what do you feel when you sing? Oh, I love that question. That's great. Um, you know, I think one thing is that music is a great way for us to express our feelings. And so to some extent, it depends on the piece and the venue and sort of the circumstances of it. Um, but one of the things that I love, particularly about singing with choirs, you know, it's going to shock you is the community aspect and the idea that <laughs> we have all of these people coming together in a really focused way and you know, you'll have 40 or 50 people and everybody's got their own part and everyone's gone off and rehearsed it on their own and learned it. And then you come together and you create something that no one person could have done by themselves, but it's yeah. this really powerful, really beautiful thing. And so, um, yeah, for me, I think, I think music is, it's catharsis. It is fun. Uh, and it is, it is community as well. And you told about this beautiful thing. And what I really also like about chorus that. You don't have to be perfect. Right. You know, like at the end, what's what's going like what people do sounds great. But you don't have to be like, you know, like do the best thing. But and yeah, yeah, I have you heard the story about um I'm bad with facts, but the, the main idea of the story is that uh some folks in Italy wanted to some uh, well-known band to go to their city and they kind of declined or something like that. So they collected together like 11,000 of people and they were oh, wow. creating the song of this group all together. So there were a lot of singers, a lot of drum players, a lot of guitar players, and they were like, this was just insane. But That, I had not heard that story, but that sounds really... Fantastic. And I know that there are like pop-up choirs where you can get a bunch of people together and just teach some parts and get everybody singing. And it, it sounds pretty good. You know, um, during COVID, we had a season where we did one of those virtual concerts where everybody had to record their part 
at home just like this. And then we had to stitch them all together to make a video. And a lot of people were like, oh, oh, I don't like my voice. I don't think it sounds good. I was shocked to record just my part. And I, you know, maybe I shouldn't be in the choir anymore, but then you put it all together and it sounds beautiful. And it really goes to your point that, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be the best singer in the world, but something about bringing it all together can really make it into something wonderful. Do you keep doing those things or maybe you are singing in a choir right now in person? Yeah, my choir is back to being in person. So I sing with the Philharmonic Chorus of Madison. Um, we actually just had our spring concerts a couple of weeks ago. So we're taking the summer off. Um, but we we do, uh, we sing a set of concerts around Christmas time and then a set in the spring every year. And I've been doing that on and off since 2004. So Yeah, you have a lot of experience, you know, and I feel like if somebody wants to learn how to sing, they can already ask you a lot. <laughs> Probably true. Although I, I think voice lessons are great. I think anybody that really wants to can learn to sing. It's just sometimes it's a matter of training your ear or learning how to breathe or uh, learning how to read the music and that kind of thing. Um, but I would encourage anyone that's got a musical inclination to go pursue it. because I, I know it's been a true joy for me in my life. What is the one thing you got out of musical lessons? Oh, gosh. The, the, main, the main thing. Um, I think it is learning that you can learn the technique and pick up anything you want to. You know, I, I took voice lessons. I taught myself to play the guitar. I'm starting to try to teach myself the piano. I rented a cello once for a couple of months and, you know, it's not easy and it takes a long time to become a virtuoso or, you know, somebody that can go do a solo, but you can actually pretty quickly pick up something that can get you started. And so I think it's, it really is sort of a, if you put your mind to it, you, you can learn it. If you want to go out and pursue it, you can. Yeah. You know, just do it. So <laughs> just do it. <laughs> the, the easiest thing, the easiest thing. Just, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's start from the beginning. Tell me about your parents. Who are they? Oh, gosh. My parents are, they're Dee and Bill. Um, my dad is a very athletic guy. He's always been somebody who loves the outdoors and getting on doing activities. He has always been in a volleyball league or a softball league, or now he plays golf twice a week. Um And I, I really admire him. He volunteers. Um, he drives uh, other veterans to medical appointments. And he's been doing that for a couple of years. And he was really bummed when he had to stop doing it during COVID. But he just got back to it recently. I think that's a really cool thing. And my mom is a very free spirit. She's always been very entrepreneurial. So she had her own business for several years as a life coach. She actually has a master's degree in counseling. Um And so I always looked up to her in terms of, you know, aspiring to reach a high level of education and to help others. And she has helped many people find and transition through their careers and that kind of thing. And then in retirement, she went to one of those like paint and sip classes where you drink wine and you copy ah. a painting that somebody's doing. And she uncovered a whole new passion for art. And now she has spent the last five or six years taking art classes 
and learning things. And she just went on a retreat to Mexico with 10 women and they learned all about all sorts of art things. And this week she's got an art show in Denver and she's selling some of her paintings. And it's just so cool to see this like whole new life for her, you know, and, and keeping with our theme of, you know, if you want to learn something, you can just go do it. And I've, I've really seen that with her. Um, she's also been a wonderful caretaker throughout her life. She's had a lot of family members with different health concerns. Um, and, and she's been amazing at being the person that has really taken care of everybody and gotten them through those periods of time. And she's managed an immense amount of that kind of thing. Um, so it's interesting. My parents are very different from one another. I think I get a lot of my outdoorsy and athletic side from my dad and clearly my artsy and sort of entrepreneurial side from my mother. Told that they are kind of different, difference, but what connects them? You know, I think that they originally connected just over a, a joy in life. They found a lot of ways to have fun together. Um, back when they first met, they both loved skiing. I'm a big skier. Um, ski vacations have always been part of our family history. And so they were part of a ski and rec club out in Colorado, and they would go off on these adventures and do that kind of thing. Um, and so I think that that was where they really connected. And, and then they've just figured out a way to be a good team throughout their lives and, and dealing with you know, all of the things that come up in a family over a lifetime. Yeah. By the way, did you try snowboarding? I did try it once when I was 15. Um, snowboarding is, it's, it's really fun and it's really easy in some ways, but if you catch one of the edges of the board, you just like, it's like a cartoon, your feet get knocked right out from under you. And so after I fell three or four times. I was like, you know, I can get down this hill pretty good on skis. I think I'm going to stick with that. Um, so I've, I've stuck with skiing. My brother picked up snowboarding and really loves it. Um, but I, I prefer skiing myself. Did you ever compete with your brothers? You know, there's like, I, I was, I was doing snowboarding sometime before and I just switched from skiing to snowboarding. And mm -hmm. there was always like this competition between skiers and snowboard snowboarders. Do you, have you ever had this competition with your brother? Not really. I think in part, because he was always faster than me. It doesn't matter what, whether he was skiing or snowboarding, he was always much faster than I was. He, he picked it up at a younger age and he got really good, really young. I didn't get good at it until I was like in my twenties. I actually moved back to Colorado for a while after college. And so that was really when I, I got good at it, despite having done it most of my life. Um, so I wouldn't say there's a competition there, but, um, My brother and I did martial arts together growing up, and there was definitely some competition in that space of who was who was better, who could get their black belt first, that kind of thing. Uh, he won. <laughs> he beat me to it by a little bit. Um, but, you know, it was, it was healthy competition, too. I think it, it drove both of us to keep getting better. And what martial arts you were doing? So it's called American Freestyle Taekwondo. Um, so it's Taekwondo based, but brought in a variety of other styles and, and techniques as well. Um, so I started when I was about nine and I did that through about the middle of high school. So I was about 16, um, pretty seriously and, and competed in tournaments and things for a while. And then I took some time off and then I worked at a karate school for a while in my twenties. So I kind of got to go back and be the instructor and, and do that kind of thing. Um, and I don't really do it much anymore other than there are some you know, cardio kickboxing types of classes. And I, I like going to those to, to work out and, and remember my old skills. 
And where did you get your belt? Uh, it's from a school that was called Mile High Karate out in Denver, Colorado. And what belt do you have? I have a second degree black belt. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> I, people are always like, so, so if we got in a fight, could you beat me up? And I'm like, probably not. <laughs> I, I know a lot of the techniques. I'm still a small person. <laughs> and I, I was never a great fighter. I was much more interested in sort of the performative aspect of going to tournaments and doing the katas and things like that. Yeah, I know how it works because I kind of finished with brown belt. Did you? Yeah. Just one There step. You go. Just short and of I, it, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I know that it's all, it's mostly all about katas and um, mm -hmm. going to tournaments and winning those tournaments. And I really never liked tournaments because you have to fight with somebody. And it's like, right. you don't want to be hurt, you know? <laughs> I, I never liked the sparring part either. I never got particularly good at it. Um, but I am grateful for all of the self-discipline that I learned doing that and how to, you know, when you're talking about earning a black belt, it's four or five years of training consistently that you have to stick with to get to that goal. That's a very long time to stick with something. Um, but I do see in my professional life, how learning how to have that self-discipline, learning how to have that dedication has really served me. And, and it really plays out in a lot of different parts of life. And, you know, ultimately I think that's That's why you put your kids in karate <laughs> is to, to learn a lot of those kinds of skills. Did you have one teacher? I had several teachers, you know, over the years, different people came in and out. Sometimes we would go, there's multiple locations for our school. So we would go to different ones. Um, and then my family actually moved to Madison, Wisconsin, which is where I live now when I was 12. So I got my first degree black belt out in Colorado. And then I got the second degree here at a different school, the whole different set of training. What teacher did you like the most and why? Oh, my goodness. It's hard to even remember. It was so long ago. Um, I remember that we had a guy named Mr. Burke, I believe. And it's really funny because these people were so grown up when I was a kid and, and they were probably like 20 years old <laughs> in real life. They probably weren't like all that uh, grown up. But um I remember he was really good at maintaining sort of the order of the class and he'd like make it fun when it was appropriate to be fun and he'd be serious when it was appropriate to be serious. And uh, he was a really great teacher. And I, I definitely look back and remember him fondly. What is the first memory of your childhood that comes to your mind right now? The first memory of my childhood? Um, it was being on an airplane. And I, I love to travel. I used to have a job where I traveled a lot. I actually met my husband on an airplane. Um, so I love that this is my first memory, but I believe we were going to visit my grandparents in Ithaca, New York. And I remember asking my mom, I was like, gosh, when I was little, were we like on a plane and there was like tulips? I'm like, this is my first memory is taking off. She's like, yeah, that was the airport in Ithaca. And they had this big tulip garden. And I remember like seeing the tulips. And then I remember like going up in the plane and seeing the clouds and having that sense that we were going on an adventure. And so that was, that was kind of my first memory. Have you ever been afraid of flying? Um, you know, nobody loves turbulence. And I, I always get a little nervous right as you're landing. I know that that's like the first 15 second, seconds, the last 15 seconds of the flight are the most likely to have a problem. So I'm always sitting there taking some deep breaths. But um, no, in general, I mean, I think I think air travel is pretty safe. And um, I've never had a significant problem, even when there has been turbulence or something like that. 
I totally feel you because my wife feels exactly the same. So first 15 seconds and final 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and then the rest else. of the flight's great. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> hmm. Tell me a story about you being a beer fairy. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you you definitely dug deep in the Facebook pictures. Uh, so it was a Halloween costume that I did. Um, at the time I was living in Denver, and of course Denver is big in the microbrew scene, and I was a regular volunteer at the Great American Beer Festival. Um, and so that year I had decided to, I didn't have a Halloween costume on hand, and so I decided to make one. Um, and since that was kind of what I was into at the time, I made a little dress and some wings and put bottle caps on it. And the dress, I had actually sewn in a whole bunch of hidden pockets where I could carry around cans of beer. So when people would ask what I was, I would wave my little wand and pull a beer out of the dress and hand it to them as though it had appeared by magic. <laughs> that was that was pretty fun. And I believe my date went as the whiskey wizard and he had rigged up a staff where he could pour shots of whiskey. Um <laughs> I, I was much more popular the next day. People were not so pleased with the whiskey wizard. Um, no, it was, it was really fun. I uh, I don't drink much anymore, but uh, it was a fun time of life. And it was a really fun party. I, I made a lot of friends that night. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, you know, like if somebody pours you a beer, like you definitely will be friends in the future. <laughs> right, like right. Using magic, especially using using magic. You know, I, I always loved Halloween. Um just because of the playfulness, you know, and bringing that magic into it and getting to dress up as something. And for a while there, I was really, really into doing elaborate Halloween costumes like that. Um, it was a lot of fun. A little weird question, but do you believe in magic? Ooh, I would say yes. Probably not in the, the pulling a coin out of your ear or rabbit out of a hat kind of way. But I do, do think that there are things that happen in life that I can't explain. <laughs> that seemed pretty magical yeah. um so yeah yeah, I'd, yeah i'll believe in magic that sounds good <laughs> why not yeah yeah exactly you know like finally a soulmate thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> you know, i i always love this magical stories you know like because the world the world is hard and it's good to believe that some magic is behind because otherwise yeah Yeah, no, I agree. And I've definitely had some things happen in life where things just came together so randomly and in such a wonderfully serendipitous way that you're just like, well, how did that happen? Like, how did all of those pieces fall into place at the right time and the right moment for this to be happening? Do you ever go back and try to understand how did you get to this moment? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you look back at your life. And I think it's really fascinating how we can make sense of where we've come from and the experiences we've had and how we got to where we are now. You would never have seen that or said that that was the path you were on while you were walking it. But then it's kind of like you turn around and look over your shoulder and you can see this whole path that you've come down. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started recording here about uh, being a community builder. And I was telling you how, like, gosh, when I was a little kid, I was building community. I was the kid that was always knocking on everyone's doors and getting everybody together to do, you know, play tag in the yard or put on a play or do all sorts of things. And community management wasn't 
a career that existed when I was in college, right? I got access to Facebook my senior year of college. Um, so now I'm aging myself, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't something I ever could have said like, oh, I know what I want to do in my life. I want to go build community for people. <laughs> and yet when I look back, I see that time and time again throughout my life, I was always collecting people, getting them excited to do something together, helping everybody move in a direction with consensus, whatever I was doing. And um, so I think, you know, now I look back at my life and I can see that, but I never would have known that back then. So between child, what was between childhood and your community management work? Well, so, you know, um, I went to college at the University of Minnesota and I, I studied theater for three years. So I wanted to be a director. And then I did my first professional show and realized I did not like having rehearsals every night of the week. I wanted to be in a choir. I wanted to go do some other things with my time. Um, but that education was super helpful. I find, you know, it's amazing how much of my theater education actually plays into helping to run events and coordinate virtual meetups and things like that. Um, so I ended up with a degree in cultural studies, uh, which really is the study of culture, how things, how movements happen, how things come to have meaning for groups, which is a great education for a community manager who needs to yeah. understand how to motivate groups, how to inspire people. Um, then I spent about 10 years after college bouncing around. I drove out to Colorado with what I could fit in my car. I had a variety of jobs. I was a freelance writer for a long time. Um, I went to massage school. I worked at that karate school, worked at a kitchen store for a while. I did all sorts of random things. And then I was freelancing. And that was really how I started my community career. I got an internship at a social media agency and ended up basically doing social media community management through yeah. them. And then eventually started my own LLC and was taking on various jobs. And that was kind of how I got into it. But it was very much kind of pinging around and experimenting and exploring a lot of different ideas. Um, and after about five years, that ended up getting me recruited out to Silicon Valley. And so I worked at a virtual reality startup out there for about three years. Um, and that was one of those magical things where I went out to interview and I got there. It was a company of nine people. My cousin had originally worked at Apple and he'd quit and he'd left to go to this little startup. And I show up for the job interview and my cousin is one of the people that I'm interviewing with. Huh. Just a total rant. Like we didn't know. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, and so I ended up working at this company with my cousin for a couple of years. Um, and then I eventually met the man who is now my husband and he lived in my hometown of Madison, Wisconsin. We'd actually gone to high school together, moved back to Wisconsin and got my job at Zendesk. And then I've been there for about six and a half years. So very sort of experimental meandering, but it always ended up coming back to community and connecting people. Every time changing a job, how did you decide that it's a time to go? Um, you know, especially as a freelancer, a lot of it was like a contract would end or yeah. the thing I'd been hired to got completed. Um, usually when I have left jobs in the past, it's been because it was clear that I had, I had accomplished everything I could and either a recognition that I needed to move on for something in my personal life or that 
because I worked at a lot of startups, a lot of the time, what I found would happen is I would do all the things I could. And then it was like, okay, the job that I have now actually needs to now go to two people who are specialists in these different things. Mm-hmm. And they need to build out those functions. And so my time here is that it's time for me to move on and sort of pass the torch to the next people. Um, and a lot of it was just opportunities. I, you know, the very first salary job I ever got, was just a recruiter called me and I picked up the phone and thank goodness for that. Cause that got me in the door at that organization. And the, the job in Silicon Valley was that I had I'd emailed a hundred people in my network and said that I was looking for new contracts because my current one had ended. And somebody reached out and said, Hey, I just heard about this job. It's not the right one for me, but it might be a really good fit for you. And so, you know, that was where I really learned the power of networking too, and, and making sure you maintain those relationships. I had conversation with Brie Lever and she told mm-hmm. uh, when she were out there for projects, she did 100 virtual coffees and not only virtual coffees with people. So very similar to what you shared, like 100 emails. So how did you learn that you have to do this? Like, how did you feel that, you know, like reaching out, like what, what does it mean for you asking for help? Well, first, I don't think people should ever be afraid to ask for help, right? None of us are capable of doing everything on our own. And um, I once had a manager, I used to do a lot of projects very independently because I wanted to like own it end to end and be able to take credit for the whole thing and prove how good I was. And he was like, you got to let other people put their, their spice in the chili, as he put it, right? But it was like, you have to let other people contribute because they're going to add things that you don't have. And that's a good thing. Um, And so that was a good lesson, but really back when I was freelancing, it was all about the network. Almost all of my work came from somebody who knew somebody who needed help with something I could do. Um, And so, you know, when I had my own business, when you run your own business, you're always working really hard. You maybe have a little more work than you can actually do. And you're always looking for your next thing. You're always trying to get more work. And so I was just really big on networking and, you know, so much of, of what I was doing was trying to build communities. And so it was really important that I knew a lot of people. And at the time it was particularly in the startup scene. And so I was trying to get out and meet every, my goal is to know every startup CEO in the front range. And I don't know if I ever hit that goal, but I, I, I hit a good percentage of it for sure. Um, and I, I honestly think that that time when I sent that email out, that was a really great lesson of, oh, hey, if you just reach out, somebody will help you. Um, you know, one of the things that you called out at the beginning of the show is that I, I do a lot of fundraising. Um, so the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation is my, my cause. I have a family member who has cystic fibrosis and their research has significantly extended his life and the quality of his life. And, and, uh, I think it's a really great organization, but I started fundraising as a little kid with my mom, right? She would do these fundraisers and she'd have me go call a couple aunts and uncles and ask them to donate $5 towards my walkathon or something. And I think that was maybe the beginning of understanding what it was to build relationships with people and the kinds of relationships where you can ask people for help. And uh, who knows, maybe maybe that fundraising was actually the uh, seed for all of my community building. <laughs> yeah, you never know. And, uh, you know, sometimes I ask people like, if you were doing the same thing that you're doing right now, what you would have done differently? And mm-hmm. sometimes people like, 
I won't change anything because that's exactly how I got here. So it's you, 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 at least me. I I don't know if I were doing something differently. What who would I be? I have no ideas. My my husband says that a lot. Every time there's something where we're like, oh, maybe we should have done this thing differently or done that, and he's like, yeah, but then we might not have met, or then we might not be where we are today. So let's not go back and question it because who knows what were the the things that got us to where we are. And by the way, how did you meet? Tell me the story about oh goodness, husband on a flight. <laughs> so so we went to high school together. He was a year ahead of me. We didn't really know each other, but we were in the same band class on the same track team. And what's crazy is that we had a lot of the same friends <laughs> and somehow we never talked to each other. We like knew each other existed. You know, that was about it. He was the kid that wore bow ties and suspenders to band concerts. <laughs> um, and then, you know, 20 years go by. And then I was on a flight from Madison, Wisconsin to San Jose, California on a Sunday morning. So I'd come back home from my brother's wedding and was flying back to San Jose where I was living at the time. And um, my husband was living here in Madison. He's lived here his whole life. And he was flying out to San Jose for training for his new job. His company was bringing him to Santa Clara for the week. And it's funny, you know, they always say like, oh, you'll meet someone when you're not looking. And I was like, you guys, I am 35. I am single. I wear makeup to the grocery store. I am never not trying to meet somebody. But a 7 a.m. flight on a Sunday morning, I really didn't think I was going to meet anybody. So I showed up in like a, you know, scrubby T-shirt, no makeup or anything like that. And then I get on the plane and uh, I've got my guitar with me because I'd played at my brother's wedding. And I, so I make a big effort to like get on the plane first. So I get the guitar in the overhead bin. I get settled in my seat and this girl sits down next to me and says, would you trade seats with my boyfriend? He's five rows up and I'd really like to sit next to him. And I was like, my guitar's back here. So like if I move five rows up, I'm gonna have to wait for everyone to get off the plane to get my guitar. But okay, you know, who am I to not have you sit next to your boyfriend? I'll, I'll be a nice person, even though it's kind of an inconvenience for me. And so I moved up and I'm in the window seat of this other row now that I wasn't originally supposed to be in. And I noticed this guy who's sitting in the center seat in the row in front of me. And he, you know, he kind of like chuckles and turns to the side and I can see the side of his face. And I'm like, see, I need to meet somebody like that. He seems like a nice guy. And then um, I heard him laugh and I was like, I could listen to a laugh like that for the rest of my life. I hope I meet somebody <laughs> like this someday. And then I put on my noise canceling headphones and I was going to take a nap. And uh, they filtered out all of the noise except his voice somehow. It was like he was on a <laughs> microphone. And he was chatting with uh, this older woman sitting next to him throughout the whole thing. And I don't know how many people you have met from the Midwest, but it is a very common thing to be like, where are you from? Oh, I know people in that town. Do you know such and such? And so this woman was asking him all of these questions, <laughs> trying to figure out, and it turned out she did know like an aunt of his or something like that. <laughs> and so through that conversation, I picked up on his last name in the year he graduated. And I was like... There's a guy by the last name of Saunders that graduated in 99 from my high school. I wonder if that's him. <laughs> and so when the plane landed, I, like a complete weirdo, tapped him on the shoulder and said, hi, I heard you're coming to San Jose for work for two weeks. I live there. If you need restaurant recommendations or anything, I'd love to show you around. And he turns around and looks at me and he goes, Nicole? <laughs> and he totally <laughs> recognized me from high school. And we went from the airport out to lunch. Uh um we hit it off we hung out those two weeks he was in town and at the end of those two weeks i was like i i really want 
to keep seeing you. And he's like, I really want to keep seeing you too. And so he flew back the next weekend and we spent about three and a half months of him basically flying from Wisconsin to California, which is not a short trip every other weekend to come see me. And then I was traveling a lot for work. So sometimes he would meet me, you know, in New York or wherever I was traveling. And after a couple of months, we were like, okay, this is way too expensive. <laughs> um, and we started talking about who was going to move and we were engaged a year later. So it just, it was totally random. We, we just connected on that flight and um, it's fun because we have this big shared history from having gone to high school together. And we know a lot of the same people, um, but we, we didn't meet until a little bit later in life. And it also sounds a little like magic. <laughs> It, well, so when you were talking about magic, that was one of the stories that I was thinking about and how just sort of random and serendipitous it was. And it was like, he wasn't originally supposed to be on that flight and I wasn't originally supposed to be in that seat. And all of these things that had to fall into place for us to reconnect. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing. And I'm happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased with how that one turned out. <laughs> Tell me, what do you love the most about Denver? Mm. Um, I loved living in Denver because you're able to have that city life, right? There's huge sports teams there. There's world-class concert venues and all of that. And so many people move there, you know, they say for the lifestyle, to go be outdoorsy, to have fun. But at the same time, In 40 minutes, I could be up in the mountains and away from everybody and out in nature. And I just, I loved sort of that access to both worlds. Yeah. And I think it's its gotten harder now. There's a lot more people in Colorado now than there were when I lived there. Um, and there's a lot more traffic. So it used to be a 40-minute trip to the mountains, and now it's like two hours with traffic, um, which is unfortunate. But, you know, there's a reason for it. It's because it's, it's a beautiful place and it's full of active outdoorsy people who like to be in community with one another. And how did you feel when you moved from there? It was hard. I had, I'd grown up in Denver. Well, outside of Denver, I actually grew up in Morrison, which is where the Red Rocks uh, amphitheater is that big concert venue. And I'd always wanted to move back and I'd had this dream that I was going to move back. And that was where my life was going to be. And when I moved there, I really thought I was moving there for life. I thought that was what I was going to do. And I, I even like shared an apartment with my best friend from third grade for a couple of years. And that was like a dream that we had had when we were little. And so it was really hard to leave and to give up on that dream. Um, but giving up is probably the wrong way. It was just a recognition that like I had done the thing and now it was time for a new dream. And when I had the opportunity to go out to Silicon Valley and get that experience of working in a tech startup in the center of the tech universe, and, you know, my cousin was there, and then that was another one of those magical moments. My brother happened to move to San Francisco at the exact same time I did, and suddenly we get to live in the same city for the first time in a decade. Um, and, and that was random, too. It wasn't planned. He was literally like, I'm moving to San Francisco. And I was like, great. Can I stay with you? I have a job interview. Um <laughs> you know, it was just an opportunity and it was a new thing. And it was kind of scary to take that leap and move someplace I'd never been. And I didn't know anybody except my brother and my cousin. And the Bay Area is a big area, but um, I'm super glad I did it. And I, I miss Colorado and I would love to live there again someday. But I think an important thing to realize is it's really important to have a dream. And it's also important 
to know when you've experienced your dream and it's time for a new one. It's time for the next thing to move on to. How do you meet new people? How do I meet new people? Um, I'm a big fan of doing it through activities. I think it is really helpful to have something to talk to other people about. It's not just like, hi, I need friends. You look nice, right? That's weird. Uh, yeah. And clearly with the way that I introduce myself to my husband, I am I am that weirdo, but I recognize that other people maybe won't uh, respond to it so well. And so, you know, for me, I've always joined a choir or I used to play ultimate Frisbee and I joined an ultimate Frisbee league and I do that. But I have, this is my actually my favorite community building story for you. So when I graduated from college, I'd moved back to Madison for a little while. And I was working at the university here, but all of my coworkers were like professors. And these weren't people I was like going to go hang out with after work. And I knew a couple people from my choir and I knew a couple people from my Frisbee team, but I was like having trouble getting like a group of friends going. And so I was like, well, how did I make friends in college? And I was like, well, I would, I would meet them through classes. And how did that work? Well, you'd go to class and you'd sit by people and eventually you'd start talking about whatever was going on in the class. And then you'd do that enough times that eventually you'd start talking about things that were happening outside of class. And then eventually you'd maybe like see if somebody wanted to like go study together or you'd invite someone to a party. And so I was like, okay, so I need to create a place where people can regularly connect with one another and where there's something to talk about, like as part of the thing and where they can show up over and over and run into the same people so they can eventually build those relationships. And so I decided to have a potluck and I was like, all right, it's gotta be recurring. So I'm going to call it the odd Tuesday potluck. And it's going to happen on odd numbered Tuesdays. So everybody knows if it's an odd numbered Tuesday, you can show up at Nicole's house with food and meet people. And I was like, and with a potluck, everybody can just talk about the food. If there's nothing else, you can be like, oh, wow, look, we have seven kinds of rice tonight. That's weird. Um, <laughs> and then what I did is I invited everyone I knew, which at the time was like four people. And I was like, well, that's not going to work very well. So I said, okay, everybody can bring a friend. You can bring <laughs> anybody you want to my potluck. And it, it worked. I hosted those odd Tuesday potlucks on and off for almost 10 years in three different cities. But that initial group that I did it with the first two years, those are the people that are still my friends. You know, I, I met these people through my potlucks in various ways. And then I moved to Denver and they kept having potlucks with each other. And I started potlucks in Denver. And then I moved to California and I had potlucks in California. And then when I came back to Madison, my friends today are the same people that I met through those potlucks that I started 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a super powerful story. You know, and also out of the story you told the moment, like we can talk about food. So it sounds like it sounds to me like a backup plan. Yeah. So do you always have a backup plan? Yes. <laughs> I was a Girl Scout as a kid and their motto is always be prepared. Uh, so I try to always at least have a fail safe. Like here's the plan. And if that goes totally awry, we can do this. Um, and certainly with meeting people, yeah, it was really important to have something like, okay, if all these people have nothing in common and minimum, they can talk about the food and chances are they will have things in common, especially because I'm inviting people that I all connect with. And so they'll have me in common. And that means we have to have some common interests and values in, in that, in that realm. Um, but yeah, I, I always have a backup plan, you know, whether it's 
something I'm doing in my personal life or something we're doing at work, I always kind of know what the plan B is. And sometimes a plan C, just in case it gets really crazy. <laughs> Where is there situations when you had a plan D? <laughs> Probably. I think the plan D is usually like, well, I'm in a first world country with a credit card, so it'll be fine. <laughs> And did you have situations where you had no plan B? Yeah, I would say that there have definitely been times that you kind of, you're going and doing the thing. And if it goes awry, then, then you figure it out from there. Um, I actually went backpacking for the first time about a year ago with my husband and we did an eight night backpack. So I was like, I really dove into it. <laughs> it was, I didn't go for two days and backpacking is a good case where like, there's not a plan B you're out there. And you're hiking and you have to get from this place to camp to this place to camp. And you've got what you've got on your back. And if something doesn't go according to plan, you have to deal with it with literally what you have on your back. Um, and, and so you do. I, I actually I fell in a creek one day and you don't have spare clothes when you're carrying everything you need for a week on your back. And so I had to just use what I had. And hiking that until I could like clean all of the algae and stuff off of the, my hiking clothes. You just, you figure it out as you go. And I, I think it's about being resourceful and about trusting yourself. Um, so yeah, I usually have a plan, but there are times in life when you can't and you just got to wing it and trust yourself to figure out what to do next. How did you feel that day, that moment when you fell there? Um... Well, it was funny because my husband was really scared, right? He was really nervous that I had injured myself because um, I'd slipped on a rock and yeah. fallen up to my neck into this like beaver dam created creek. It was not pretty. And I was laughing hysterically. And he's like, this is not funny. You could be really injured. We're out in the middle of the wilderness, you know, take hours to get help. But I was laughing because I like one, I thankfully I wasn't hurt. Um, I was so embarrassed that I had fallen and I'd fallen because I'd had a hubris of being like, oh, I could just jump across this, forgetting that I had a 25 pound pack on my back that <laughs> would have different ideas. Um, but also I was just like, oh gosh, the I don't know what we do. And, you know, I just kind of had to laugh because I didn't want to get mad. I didn't want to cry. I didn't yeah. freak out. It was just kind of like, okay, I need to laugh at this moment. So that I can calm myself down and recognize it's not the end of the world, but I do need to figure out what happens next. <laughs> so, yeah, so sometimes laughing nervously are not calming down. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I totally feel I totally feel what you're talking about. And tell me about you being a Denver Broncos fan. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, I grew up in Colorado. Um When I was a little kid, those were the years that like John Elway was the big quarterback and we won the Super Bowl, or at least we went to the Super Bowl a couple times. I don't actually remember if we won. Um, and so there's big Super Bowl parties where my parents would get all the kids in the neighborhood together. We'd all have face paint and there'd be orange and blue food everywhere. <laughs> and then when I moved back as an adult, I had a house for a while that was right by the stadium. And so it was, it was really cool because like when they'd have the Jets fly over the stadium, I was like right in front of my house. And I really got to be part of that. And um, I, I don't actually care that much about football. I, I don't really care that much about a lot of professional sports, but I loved the dressing up in the costumes and getting together with people and, you know, 
being with everybody and having this common thing we were all cheering for and getting excited about. I loved all of the the pomp and circumstance of it. Um, yeah, I think that was really what it was all about for me. Sounds like it's more about a process, not a score. Yeah, yeah, it was about being there. It was, I mean, you know, I hate to like sound like a broken record and be a dork about it, but it was about <laughs> the community of it, right? It was about being with other fans and. And actually, you know, you were asking about how you meet people. That was one of the ways I met people in California. I joined like a Denver Bronco fan meetup because I knew that if I showed up at the bar wearing an orange shirt, I would go find other people wearing orange shirts and we could maybe be friends. And like, that was one way to easily meet people was through that. Did you make really good friends out of those meetings? I mean, this uh, Broncos fans. Um, you know, I didn't end up meeting any close friends out of that particular effort. Um, honestly, the closest friends I made in, in California were like friends of other friends that I kind of met randomly. Um, but I did meet a lot of really nice people and I had a lot of fun Sunday afternoons hanging out with them. And, you know, there's different levels of friendship that you can have with people. You, you've got your couple of best friends and then you kind of have your circle of people you can call on for help. And then you have your broader circle of people you can hang out with when you have free time. And, um, Those, those Denver Broncos fans were good for that sort of third group of people I could hang out with and have a good time with. And even though I wasn't super close with them, they were still, they were still good people to, to have a fun time with. And no strings attached, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I still keep in touch with a couple of them, you know, thanks to social media and stuff like that. What do you think about a stand-in desk at a workplace? Ooh, standing desks. For a totally different note. Um, I used to have one at my office at Zendesk and I really liked it. Um, I, it's really important to stand on a regular basis. And I've I've had some back problems on and off in my life. And uh, it was actually, it was interesting. It was one of the reasons I hadn't gone backpacking because I had back problems. And then I went on my backpacking trip. My back felt great. And I went to the PT and I was like, okay, help me make sense of this. Why did my back feel the best when I was walking 14 miles a day with a 25 pound pack on my back? And she said, oh, it's because you're extending your back. Most of us spend our whole day sitting and slumping. And that's what actually makes it hurt. And here all these years, I, whenever my back hurt, I was like, oh, I got to rest it. Actually, what I needed to do was move mm -hmm. uh, and get up and walk. And so I'm a big fan of the standing desk. I have the, the Apple watch that tells me to stand every once an hour. And so I'm constantly in meetings like I can't stand up right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I loved having a standing desk and I, I don't have one at home right now but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get one set up in my next office space. Do you go for a walk every day? I do. I go for a four-mile walk every morning before work. It takes me about a little over an hour, um, but I live right by a big park, and so I have a really nice place to go stroll, and I find one, then I get my exercise in for the day, so if I'm too busy the rest of the afternoon and evening, at least I've gotten some movement in. Um, but I also find those walks really meditative. And it's actually when I do a lot of my thinking and processing about stuff for the day. So I will, <laughs> I will often be that person who's like taking voice memos. I'm on my walk and I'm like, okay, note to self, <laughs> think about this, do this. Here's, I'm going to talk myself through a problem I've got at work or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the, the morning walks. At least I do it in the warm months. I'm not so good about it in the winter time. <laughs> do you always use the same route? I tend to, um, sometimes I mix it up for variety, but I find I like not having to decide where I'm going. And so I just will follow a lot of the same path. And what's cool about that is I've started to see a lot of the same people. 
other people that take walks at the same time of day. Um, and the other reason I like the morning walks is it's when all the birds are out. And so I love getting to see all the wildlife and, and the animals that are out in the early morning. What can make you change your route? Um, sometimes the weather. If it's a really hot, sunny day, I might opt for something more shady. If it's a really clear day, I might opt to, you know, stick with my normal path because it has a pretty open sky. Um, sometimes, you know, various roads are closed or whatever. Um, and every once in a while, I'll just be like, I want to do something different today. I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, or sometimes I'll stroll to go see something in particular. You know, if there's an art thing happening on campus, I want to go walk by or there's uh, some business that I want to stop and, you know, I need to pick up milk on the way home. I'll change my route to go by the grocery store or something. You know, you told about your volunteering experience and fundraising. And uh, I saw this post that it was a long time ago when you were giving away your gas stove for free. So I, I know that usually, at least, in, at least in, in Ukraine, if people have some old thing or something they don't need, they kind of trying to still sell it, not give it for free. So how did you feel about giving these things for free? Um, you know, I'm, I will sell something if it's like a high value item, right? Like if it's something I spent many hundreds of dollars on, or maybe something that's new. In that case, it was a, a fairly older thing. Uh, we knew that somebody would probably want it for the parts more than like for the whole unit. Um, and there's, uh, a lot of landlords, like, especially with appliances that will pick that up and then they'll use it for parts for their apartment buildings and that kind of thing. Um, the other thing is that we knew we would get rid of it quicker if we gave it away for free than if we had to try to sell it and deal with people and haggle, it was much easier to say, Hey, it's on the curb, come and get it if you want it. And honestly, that thing went in like half an hour. Somebody came and got it right away. Um, I like giving things away for free. I actually cleaned out my closet a couple of years ago and um, gave all my clothes to people. I like made a, a big spreadsheet of them and let friends and coworkers claim whatever they wanted. And then I put them in bags and put them on my porch and people could come pick up whatever they wanted. And uh, I'm a big fan of reusing things, recycling things, giving away what you don't need. Uh, you know, I don't like having a ton of personal belongings. I'm a little bit of a minimalist, um, but I'm also just a big fan of the sharing economy. And I do think that what goes around comes around. I think if you're generous with your time, with your energy, with your things, um, it'll come back to you when you need it. So sometimes it can be hard to give things away, but uh, I do that. You know, every once in a while we'll sell something, but um, usually only if it's something where you'd be giving away like thousands of dollars worth of <laughs> something, then you'll try to recoup the cost a little bit. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of, of giving things away. I've, I've shopped at like Goodwill and uh, thrift stores and things like that a lot in my life. And honestly, some of my favorite possessions are things that I've gotten for, for free or swaps or, or really inexpensively through those kinds of things. What were the things that, what, that was the hardest to give away? Hmm. Um, I gave away the dress that I wore on my first date with my husband. And that was hard because it was sentimental, but it didn't fit me anymore. I wasn't going to wear it ever again. <laughs> and I had to kind of have a little conversation with myself and be like, you're going to have the memory, 
even if you don't have the physical object and it's not like you're pulling this dress out of the closet every day and sniffing it. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was more like it was hard to give away, but, um, I think things with that sentimental value can be hard to let go of. And I, I know a lot of people struggle with that, but to me, it's really, um, I'm not going to lose the memory just because I lose the object associated with the memory. And oftentimes the object doesn't necessarily really do that much except just serve as a physical representation. So I'm big into journaling. And so usually when I'm having trouble letting go of something, I, I write it down and it's like there, now I have the words and I've captured the idea and I don't need this picture frame or this keychain or this book anymore. How do you do this dialogue with yourself? Like what questions do you ask yourself when you have this journaling sessions? It's almost like being a parent to yourself, <laughs> right? So if I'm noticing that I'm having like a strong emotional reaction to something or whatever, I'll sit down and say, okay, why do you feel this way? Like what is underlying this feeling, right? And it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm scared that I'll forget about this thing if I don't have this. Oh, will you forget about that thing? Probably not. Okay, are there other ways you can capture that memory? Yeah, I could write it down. Okay. Why don't you go write it down? Like I, I literally have that, that kind of a dialogue where I will ask myself questions or a lot of the time, if I'm working through something, I will say, well, what would I tell a friend if they came to me with this problem? Or what would I tell one of my employees if they came to me with this problem? Right. What is the best way to solve it? And you just you have to sit down and kind of be brutally honest with yourself sometimes. And Keep digging, right? And say, oh, so you feel scared you're going to forget that memory. Well, why is that important? What would happen if you forgot that memory? Right? Would your relationship fall apart? No. Would it be any less meaningful? No. Okay. So is that big a deal? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's important to, you know, ask ourselves those questions. And I've I've probably done a lot of self-therapy using those kinds of techniques over my life. <laughs> But it sounds like a very nice kid, you know? Usually kids like, no, I can't, I won't listen to you. <laughs> well, sometimes like, okay, well, why won't you listen to me? <laughs> like, why is there that resistance? Why is that coming up? And if you just ask why enough, eventually you'll probably find the root of it. And most of the time, we all know those answers. They're inside of us. It's just a matter of getting to them of letting yeah. your defenses down enough and getting at the, the root cause of something. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a story about your star tattoo. Oh, my star tattoo. So I always said that I would never get a tattoo unless my brother wanted to get one with me. It was like the one thing that was like significant enough in my life that I'd be willing to do it. And he came to visit me in Colorado right around my 30th birthday. And he was like, I think we should get tattoos this week. And I was like, okay. I always said I wouldn't get one unless you wanted to, but I guess I'm in. And so we spent several days trying to figure out what we could get that would match. That would be like feminine enough for me and masculine enough for him. And that would have meaning to both of us. We really couldn't find anything. Like his best idea was to get our social security numbers tattooed. And I was like, no, we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> I don't, that was a dumb idea. Uh, and so we kind of dropped it for a couple of days and then we were supposed to go mountain biking and it was raining. So we'd rented a condo up in the mountains 
and we couldn't go do anything. And there's a tattoo shop. Now, disclaimer, don't go get tattoos in tourist towns. It's not where the good artists hang out. <laughs> but we did. My tattoo was pretty simple, so thankfully it wasn't a big deal. So he was like, well, let's, let's just go over there and just like look at their picture book and just see what they, they do. And, <laughs> you know, maybe have them do some drawings. And so we came up with some ideas. And ultimately, he decided he wanted to get a big sunshine on his rib cage with the Colorado Sea in the middle of it. And I was like, well, one, I'm not getting something on my rib cage, and two, I don't, I don't want that design. But when my brother was born, his lungs collapsed, and he was in the NICU for like three months. And so my parents were at the hospital with him like all the time. Yeah. And so my grandmother came out to take care of me. My grandmother was an artist, and she. Um, well, I was having these nightmares, right? Cause my, my parents suddenly disappeared and that's pretty scary when you're two and a half. Yeah. And so she took her artist skills and she made me this poster of this big pink star and she hung it over my bed and she made up a lullaby. She was not a singer, but she made up a lullaby anyway <laughs> about how this pink star would watch over me in the night and it would protect me from things. And yeah. so when I was sitting here saying, I'm going to get a tattoo and I was like, I wanted something that was meaningful enough to me that even if I hated the way the artwork turned out, I would still like that I had it. Yeah. And I succeeded. So I got that pink star tattooed and I, I picked the back of my leg just because I hike and I bike and it, it's a, you know, I knew that people could see it, but I could hide it pretty easily if I needed to for professional things or whatever. This is back when tattoos were still a little bit like, oh, you have a tattoo. I don't know if we can employ you. Um, and then it kind of worked with my brother too, because he got a sun and I got a star. And so we both kind of got like <laughs> solar sun star related things uh, <laughs> that connect us. And we have the memory of getting it together. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a really meaningful tattoo for me. That's a beautiful story. And thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and you know, Nicole, I really wish to have the sky as a limit to our conversation, but time is a limit. So... I know it's coming up so fast. You've asked so many great questions i've just been talking away here <laughs> just the beginning you know i didn't ask all questions so get ready for the volume two and all for right. now for now let's get let's jump to the rapid fire questions okay let's do it host a podcast or be a guest oh i've done both and i really like hosting i like getting to ask the questions <sighs> sunbassing or skiing Oh, probably skiing because there's also sun there and you can get both. <laughs> yeah. It just reminded me of this uh, Tawili from Stiles Park and like, I would get both. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just something in my head just pop out. You know, usually I just ask this two kind of questions, but I really want to ask the third one. Beer fairy or witch? Ooh. Well, like I said, I don't drink much these days, so Beer Fairy has probably retired. <laughs> Got it. What are your favorite color and song? Oh, my goodness. Color, um, I really like, this is my coffee mug that I drink out of every day, and I really like that shade of blue. I think it's yeah. a really cool color. Um, and then favorite song? I've always liked a song that is called Sweet Judy Blue Eyes by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And I would say that that's probably one of my favorites. If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? 
definitely I would be able to fly. I, I have a lot of dreams about flying. I would like to be able to do that. <laughs> Who do you learn from in the community world? Name just one person. Oh my gosh, just one person. Well, that's impossible because there's so exactly. many amazing people out exactly. there. Um, how do I pick one? I would say that I have had some really great conversations. Uh, gosh, it's hard to pick just one. I talk to Erica Cool a lot and I would say, you know, she's, she's probably an all-time teacher for many, many people. Um, and so I've learned a lot from Erica, but gosh, I could give you a list of 15 names that are equally important and, and, you know, people that I learned a lot from. And I thank you to everybody that has coffee with me on a regular basis. Cause I do do that. I have coffee with at least two people a month in the community space, just to get to know other people and, and understand their challenges. And it's super, super valuable. How can people reach out to you to have a coffee with you? Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and that's a great place to get me. That's where most people do. I know that's where we connected. Um, or, you know, you can always get me at nsaunders at zendesk.com. I'm there or come hang out in our community and I'll, I'll see that as well. <laughs> I'll, may, I'll ask a little easier question. Name two people who I should have these conversations with. Ooh, I don't know if you've talked to Jillian Baitlich. Uh, but she is fantastic and she's another person I love having coffee with. And then I always love talking to the illustrious Elizabeth Kinsey. I think that she's just a lot of fun and she has some really interesting insights as well. Is there one question that I definitely should have asked you, but didn't? I don't know. I think you hit on a lot of the good ones. I got to talk about the potlucks and my tattoo and my music. I mean, you, you dug deep for this Yuri. So <laughs> I think, uh, No, I think that you you unpacked a lot of it. And at the same time, I'm sure there's more and I'm always happy to share. It's always more, you know, like <laughs> it's your life. And we just had one hour conversation. So, yeah. And yeah, you know, Nicole, thank you very much for sharing those deep and beautiful stories. And even though there are deep, you always make them so funny and nice. <laughs> So like, thank you. <laughs> you, you really have this power. So yeah, like I kind of notice it through your social media, but you know, having like, let's say real life conversation makes it much more, much, uh, much brighter. So yeah. Thank you very much for being such a bright person. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for the opportunity to share all of that. It's very different. I, I talk about community so much. It's kind of fun to talk about the backstory to it. And what a wonderful thing to get to hear from so many amazing community professionals about what brings them here and, and what's behind all of that. Because I, I do think this is a profession where who we are as people really plays into it. And uh, it's a really big part of, of how we work and how we connect with others. And uh, it's such an interesting take that you have gone for to understand that side of everybody's story. It's so much connected. I can't divide my professional from life, you know, from other life. So I totally feel you. So, yeah. yeah. And Thanks. yeah, thank you very much and see you in the community world. Yes, absolutely. Thanks again for having me. And thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, hit the like button or five stars and share it with your friend. That's it. We're done. See you in the next episode.